Well, good morning, brethren and sisters. How quickly it seems that we've come to our final day of our long weekend together. Now, Brother Dave has led our minds through some of the select events that highlight to us the development and the display of the characteristics of the man Moses. We've seen the development of a man who forsook personal gain, entitlement, and perhaps even the opportunity to become the most powerful leader in the world of that time, to instead dedicate himself to the service of his God, to the honouring of his God, and to the saving of the lives of his people. And we saw that evidently yesterday, didn't we, in the exhortation on Moses the intercessor. And this morning, we'll have our final two studies we're very much looking forward to on the topics of Moses meek and Moses' forerunner. Well, as a basis for our first study this morning, Brother Dave's asked that we read from Exodus chapter 33, and we'll now call forward our brother Russell Lee to read that for us. Reading with you, brothers and sisters and young people, Exodus 33. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Depart. And go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hevites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on, his, put on him his ornaments. For Yahweh had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a, in a moment, and consume thee, therefore now put off your, uh, thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congrega congregation. And it came to pass that tabernacle, uh, that everyone which saw Yahweh went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass, when Moses went out unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and Yahweh talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And Yahweh spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, 
but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, depart not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto Yahweh, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now the way, show me now thy way, that I, I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with, with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And Yahweh said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall, be no, there shall no man see me and live. And Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will, I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Thank you, Brother Russell, for that introduction. And we'll now call forward our Brother Dave to speak to us on Moses Meek. Good morning again. Brethren, sisters and young people, what a wonderful day we had yesterday, didn't we? That was a, a lovely day and a particularly great night to consider uh, the vision of the kingdom. I'm sure we all went home buzzing after a great night together. It was a real pleasure to be with you. So we come now to Exodus 33 and this gives us another remarkable insight into the character of Moses, this wonderful man who perhaps we have come to know just a little better uh, this weekend together. Let's have a look at verse 11. We read there that the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And brothers and sisters, it's a remarkable thing, isn't it, that beside Abraham, this description of a friendship with God is reserved for a man so meek but really so great in Moses, a friend of God. He who conversed with God as a friend does to his friend. An amazing man. So what is it about friendship? What are some of the classic characteristics 
of friendship and how did they how were they manifest in this relationship between Moses and his God and how can they be relevant to us well I think we would all say the first thing that stands out about friendship is communication friends regularly communicate interact and converse with each other don't they how do we go when it comes to communicating with God how's our prayer life going do we regularly speak with him as a friend would to their friend and is it sort of one way or do we also regularly read God's word to us what he has to say in the Bible that's a good test of our friendship what about loyalty we know from the Proverbs that uh, the writer to there says that friends love at all times. They're loyal. How loyal are we to God? Does he only hear from us when we want something from him? When times are a little desperate, that wouldn't be a great friend, would it? You only receive a call when you need some help to do some weeding out the front or something like that. When I need you, that's not what friendship's all about, is it? And then friendships, it's commonly said that all relationships are built on a foundation of trust. Trust. And we looked at that a bit yesterday, didn't we, in our exhortation. Do we really believe what God says to us? Do we have faith? In God do we see ourselves in the kingdom that he's told us it will be his pleasure to give us do we take him at his word do we trust him let me read to you James 2 verse 23 about the other friend Abraham Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God belief and faith was at the foundation of of that friendship and what better friend could we ask for now God has said I will never leave you nor forsake you a constant loyal faithful kind merciful forgiving friend what better friend could we ever ask for where's our relationship with God at could we ever aspire to a more powerful relationship look also at some words that if they weren't recorded here in exodus 33 we wouldn't actually know that god had said them to moses have a look there in verse 12 moses says god you've said to me i know thee by name and thou hast also found grace in my sight he says well if that's true given it's true now therefore I pray thee if I have found grace in thy sight show me now thy way that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight now that word there uh, where it says name in verse 12 really probably is better rendered reputation I know your reputation what you stand for, the essence of who you are. 
We care sometimes a lot about our reputation, don't we? We carefully cultivate it. But that's amongst our peers. And that matters really in the end result for nothing. What matters most in terms of eternal life is our reputation in the eyes of our all-seeing God who knows all and sees all. What's our reputation in the eyes of God? What's his summary of us? A servant, chosen, my friend. Sometimes our whole life can be sort of reduced to a sentence, reduced to a term. A good man, a friendly person, a warm person, a kind person. What's our reputation? What do we stand for? And then think about what Moses desired most. What does he say? What's his request? He says, God, I want to know your way. I want to know your way. Show me your way. Look at that. I want to know you. I want to be shown your way. Show me your way that I may know you. The word way there has the idea of a road or path. He's saying, show me the path. Show me the way. I reckon that's a really helpful way to think of prayer. I've alluded to that in previous studies that we've had together. Sometimes we can sort of have this uh, unusual notion of prayer that we uh, sit there, we pray, God show me the way, and then we wait for some moment, you know, should I go here, should I go there? I don't believe at all that's the way God wants us to respond when it comes to prayer. David, I believe, had it right on. He prayed, he believed that God would direct his paths and he stepped forward in assurance of faith that God was directing his paths. I think that's how we should step bravely into the world around us. And think too of that. Moses knew that it's life eternal to know God and his son. So what's his prayer? I want to know you. I want to know you. He had recompense to the reward. He knew that the reward was there. Eternal life for those who know God. So he says, I want to know you. Do we really want to get to know God? We've got to know Moses a lot this weekend and hopefully through that the character of God. Is that a burning ambition? Eternal life depends upon it. Jesus told us that, John 17. This is life eternal. How much do we really want to know God? And then look at just this intimacy of the relationship between Moses and God that we see here in Exodus 33. You know, right back at the start in verse 3, for many of us who believe that the angel that went with Moses was Michael, <clears throat> Moses heard some words that saddened him deeply, distressed him much. Because Michael says, I'm not going with you anymore. That would have shattered Moses. Look at that back in verse 3. I will not go up in the midst of you. This is the angel that had been with Moses, that he had built this relationship with. 
talked and conversed, reasoned with, discussed, debated. Such a bond between them. So what does he say? Verse 15 to 16. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not hence. I'm out. Can't do it. If you're not with me, carry us not hence. You know, this word presence is the word face. It's the same word used in verse 11 of face. God spoke to Moses face to face. Moses said, if your face is not beside mine, don't take us in there. I want to feel the warmth of your presence, your face beside mine. Such was the intimacy of their friendship, cheek to cheek. I want you there, right beside me. Together we can do this. Without you, I can't. Do we feel the presence of the angels? Do we feel God with us? Just little practical things, brethren and sisters. Before we go on a a road trip or we're on an aeroplane, going on one of our journeys... Do we sit there with the kids or our husband or wife or just on our own and pray, God, go with me? Be with us. Is it real? Does it matter so much as it did to Moses? Let's have a look at Numbers 11. We're going to skip. That's it for Exodus. We've got now Numbers uh, you know, Deuteronomy to cover, so we're in for a long day today. We've just done Exodus. You can relax, it's okay. Numbers 11, verse 4, we'll start there. It says there, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna. Verse 10, Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. Verse 11, Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Wherefore have I not found favour in thy sight that thou shouldest lay the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth a sucking child? Verse 13, whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, give us flesh that we may. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. You know, brethren and sisters, it's here that we get another window into the heart of this beautiful man, Moses. He wasn't perfect. It's been said before that many a true word is said in jest or anger or frustration. And here there's a lot of an outpouring of emotion from Moses. He blames God. He says, you've done this to me. But had God done it to him? Was it actually God that had done this? Or was he doing it to himself? 
You know, we've seen that Moses, in many respects, particularly early in his life, had a natural propensity to take matters into his hands, to try to control outcomes by his own actions. He struggled with truly empowering and trusting and delegating to others. I mean, had not Jethro, many years earlier, instructed him not to take so much on for himself? To judge Israel alone? But we all know, don't we, that under stress and duress, it's a proven fact of human life that we often under stress resort to instinctive behaviours. And that's what Moses did. He took the burden upon himself. He was the one who regarded or saw himself as the father of these children. He saw himself carrying them in his arms as a father. That was his issue, not God's. He took the burden of the people on himself. And we saw, didn't we, when Jethro pointed it out, that this had issues for the sustainability of his leadership, personally. But also, Jethro says, it's not good for the people. And that's evident here. The people hadn't grown to become accountable, personally responsible, taking ownership. They were like the little sucking child still that Moses says, looking up to him, feed me, feed me, like, a, like little, little birds in a nest. They were still immature, somewhat impotent in their own development because Moses had mothered them and fathered them so much. This immense burden, later we'll see that he refers to the fact there was 600,000 footmen alone. That's a huge nation. And he's saying, I've got all of that weighing me down. And verse 14, I can't cope anymore. I just can't bear it anymore, God. It's too much. It's too hard. And here, brethren and sisters, is a very low point in Moses' life. Probably few of us ever reach this stage, but we would know of some who have. And it's incredibly sad. And we must be there for them. All of this burden plunged Moses into a very deep depression. Verse 15. If thou deal thus with me, kill me. Kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favour in thy sight. He's saying, if I have found favour, kill me. And let me not see my wretchedness. Let me not witness my own demise. Let me not witness my own implosion. I can't cope anymore, he's saying. This beautiful man who breaks his heart before God. I'm mentally exhausted. We know he was still a man of physical vitality, but mentally he's spent. What's God's advice? It's not dissimilar to Jethro's, and I reckon it would have been for this meek man, slightly humbling. I think I've heard that before. 
from another father, a father-in-law. As I said, under duress, we sometimes go back to what used to work. It wouldn't work anymore with this great nation. And God says, verse 16, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee, and I will come down and talk with thee. And note this, we looked at this in our very first study. I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. Very sound advice. But brethren and sisters, let's just look at two really remarkable facts here. One, it took 70 men to do the work of one. What an incredible man. You know, when sometimes you have to replace someone at work, you know they're pretty good if you have to replace one with two. This is 70 for one. That's the weight he was bearing. But also consider, brethren and sisters, that salient reminder for all of us that there were 70 men of this calibre. They existed. And God's again gently reminding Moses, don't ever get insular. Don't ever think more highly of yourself than you ought. Look out. Make it an inclusive form of leadership. Be a leader of leaders. Bring others with you. Don't be so proud as to ask for help, like the Apostle Paul, to ask for others to pray for you. To have fellow burden bearers, fellow labourers in the vineyard, And again, Moses very meekly hearkens to this wise advice. And we should too. A very good friend of mine had a great little saying. You've probably heard it before. It's built around the sort of power of reciprocity. And he said, you know, always give people the opportunity to say yes. If you never ask, the answer is always yes. No. So, brethren and sisters, in your ecclesia and mine, let's ask the young people. Let's give them an opportunity to say yes, to step up, to feel that sort of sense, wow, brother X or sister Y has asked me. I better step up. I better honour the faith that they're showing in me. And there's a desire to reciprocate that belief in them. We see people rise. It's the Pygmalion effect. They rise to the height of the bar you set for them. Let's say we think you can have a great role in the ecclesia and ask them. And brethren and sisters, there's another lesson here too, isn't there? There are brethren and sisters in, their, in our ecclesias. I think of in my ecclesia, of our, our recording brother, Uncle Colin's story. What a amazing brother he's been our our secretary for so many years he works so hard you would have them here let's not just sit by and watch someone 
implode. Let's step up and be a burden bearer, be a fellow labourer. What were some of these people doing? Had they offered? Had they offered to step up? Had they asked or frankly just volunteered and got amongst it and worked? Let's never let a Moses in our community get to the point we pray of verse 15. Should never be. Let's have a look at another little interesting moment, verse 21 to 22. I'll just make sure I've got the right section. I don't know if I have. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, that's the one. Verse 21 and 22 of of Numbers 11. God promises here to feed the people meat for a month. And Moses responds, verse 21, the people among who I am, God, are 600,000 footmen. And thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? Moses is a very practical man. He's saying, how is this possible? How is this possible? How is this going to work? The Lord's response is in verse 23. Is the Lord's hand wax short? Brethren and sisters, there's a really salient reminder for us in this, in our community and in life. There will be many people in the world in particular who will doubt the miracles that have happened in the past and that are prophesied in the future. So how is this possible? This is fanciful. How is it feasible? I will apply the laws of science. And we know the three great laws of science are that something has to be observed, has to be measurable, and it has to be repeatable. And so you apply that against things like an axe floating in the water, the Red Sea parting, etc., etc., and you go, no, don't think so. Because we take the miracles of the word of God and try to apply them through our lens. Observable, repeatable, measurable, the scientific test. Jesus said, is anything impossible with God? Or put in the positive, all things are possible. That's the sort of the point of a miracle, I think, last time I checked. It defies belief. And so we should never, ever try to make God smaller by trying to make him explainable. Let's just go with this approach. It would be wonderful at the judgment seat, which we considered last night, to be taught things, phenomenons that we could never imagine, but to at least have our God and our Lord Jesus Christ say, you know what? You were a little naive. You imputed unto me things that perhaps it wasn't 
as extraordinary as you thought. Let me explain actually how it happened. But you know what? I really loved it that you had the faith of a child and you thought I was extraordinary. Probably be a little bit confronting if our attitude was the opposite. You tried to explain me away. You tried to rationalise me. You, you sort of reduced your sense of awe at what I said that I did or could do. You made me smaller. I'm actually greater than you ever imagined. Let me show you. I think we would feel tiny wouldn't we so let's just make god big moses here hmm, this seems weird like we'd have to empty the oceans out of all the fish how's this going to work god works in mysterious and extraordinary ways and faith says god you're amazing beyond anything my mind can comprehend anything i can observe anything i could measure can't be repeated some of it but I believe it. That's faith. Chapter 12. <clears throat> this is a heartbreaking story, chapter 12. It's when his siblings turn on him. I reckon a lot of what Moses went through, constant murmuring and complaining, would have been tough. This would have been extraordinarily tough. This and Korah, Dathan, Abiram, but perhaps this above all else. Verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Note this. Because of the Cushite woman or the Egyptian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. That's really important. This, this was the reason for why they spoke against him. This was the pretext of why they then sought to undermine him. They used a different weapon in public to achieve their desired outcome, but this was the motivation. You have married a coloured woman, a foreigner, and they had an issue with that. But that's not what they came out and said. They challenged him on what they knew was one of his greatest weaknesses. Verse 2, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? Moses, it's not all about you. Why do you take so much on? It's not just you. He's spoken by us as well. You know, the classic populism appealing to democracy, etc. We'll see that again and again. There's a really salient verse here, verse 2. The Lord heard it. It's pretty simple, just a few little words. The Lord heard it. I reckon it's great sometimes to remember how we think as little tiny children. We teach our children that God hears everything, but then we forget that. Every word of racial prejudice or intolerance, or aggression, every false witness we might bear, every tale we might spread, the Lord hears it. 
He's listening. He can hear everything. It's amazing. That's the power of God, every conversation. How does it make us feel? I reckon if we're honest, we all feel pretty small about that. We wish we could, like a tube of toothpaste, you squeeze it. It's pretty hard to get the toothpaste back in there, eh? We've said a bunch of stuff in our lives that's pretty ordinary. It's a good lesson to remember. The Lord heard it. And what did he say? Verse 6. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, not in dark speeches and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak unto my servant Moses or speak against my servant Moses? With other prophets, prophetesses, I'll speak in parables, in visions, prophecies, but Moses is different. I speak to him face to face, mouth to mouth, as a friend. And you should have known that. You should have seen that. Not envied, but respected that. And here's my assessment for you of Moses. Not perfect, as in not mine, this is God saying it to them. Not perfect, but I love how God takes the summary and imputes the best. My summary for you of Moses is he's been faithful in all my house. We remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we, about a good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into the joy of the kingdom. You have been faithful in a little. Or Luke says, a very little and one of the testaments to those people is that they were, like Moses, faithful in their house to give to their children, their fellow brethren and sisters, meat in due season. One of the essential characteristics of those who will be in the kingdom is those who minister to the household, giving them meat in due season. Feed my sheep, Jesus said to Peter. That's a critical role we saw that didn't we with Moses he led the flock and he kept the flock and God says he's done a wonderful job how good are we going against that test we are great student of the word but do we never apply it in terms of showing the love do we attend, but do we fail to really visit the sick, the fatherless, the widowed in their affliction? Do we render service? Do we feed the sheep? Do we give meat to the household? That was the assessment of Moses. So Miriam is very sadly struck. Aaron, the priest, it couldn't be done, but with Miriam struck with leprosy. 
How does Moses react? Is there just a few minutes of, well, you know, it, it, it's warranted. It's deserved. After all, it, it, I haven't done it. It's a, it's a judgment from God. It would be helpful for her to have some time out to reflect on her behaviour. Uh, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see about Miriam. Remember we looked in one of our earlier studies. They have sinned. Yet now, if you would forgive. What's the verdict here with Miriam? Verse 13. Immediately Moses cried unto the Lord saying, Heal her now. Now. Think of what she's just done. Heal her now. Moses is an immediate person. Yet now, he said earlier, heal her now. Please, I beseech you. What a beautiful heart. There's not a moment of feeling vindicated, of wanting to see another suffer. His heart weeps for his sister. Struck with leprosy. Heal her now. Brethren, sisters, do we allow ourselves to be dictated by the behaviour of others or do we rise above it? Moses always rose above it. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 2. We read that on hearing of the evil report of the ten spies concerning the promised land, uh, verse 2, all the children of Israel murmured again against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain. Let us make a captain. Not, not Moses. Let us make a captain and let's return unto Egypt. They then decided they were going to stone Caleb and Joshua. And we skip down to verse 11. The Lord intervened and said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Again, you know, we see this repeatedly. Moses is offered the opportunity to be the father of a new, great and mighty nation. These people who constantly complained, murmured, challenged, accused, threatened to undermine him. Where would we be after the first, the second, the third? There's a dozen times this occurs. Would we become completely exasperated with these people? Would we 
eventually even somewhat reluctantly say, okay, yep, I'm over this, people. My patience has a limit. My long-suffering can only go so far. They had rejected him. Would Moses now reject them? Would he agree? I mean, it's God offering this through the angel. This is potentially Michael here saying, let's start again, me and you. He could just obey God. Okay, if that's what you think. No. Look at his response. I mean, this is Moses, a man, talking to God. This is extraordinary, the level of conversation. He quotes the character of God back to God. This is amazing, absolutely amazing. Verse 15. If you will kill all these people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying... Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as you told me, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation. If this is you, God, you you showed me your character, yeah? If this is the case, pardon, I beseech the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now, Think of it, brethren and sisters. They had rejected him. They wanted a captain. He seeks to pardon them. They had murmured against him. He pleads for mercy on them. They had brought him to his knees in tears. He seeks to pray for them. One of the big tests in life, isn't it, brethren and sisters, is how much our behaviour is dictated by the behaviour of others. Are we a reactive person or a proactive person? If someone abuses us, do we abuse them? Do we allow the behaviour of others to make us who we are. Moses never did. When reviled, he reviled not again. And in doing so, he was just like God. What did Jesus say defines God? He said, God makes the rain to come on the just and the unjust. He says, if you behave like God, if you love your enemies and bless them that curse you, you are like your Father in heaven. So when someone curses, do we curse again because they've cursed us? No. When cursed, we bless. When reviled, we revile not again because that's God. He makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's Moses. 
They rejected him. He pardoned them. They brought him to his knees. He went to his knees in prayer. They murmured. He prayed for mercy. Are we like that? It can be hard to do that. It can be hard to rise above it. Moses did. You might want to flip to Deuteronomy 1. Moses reminisces on this incident and in a lot of his life. Deuteronomy, a bit like Acts 7, is awesome because it fills in a lot of gaps um, and would be worthy of its own study. But he says in verse 29, this was when they were on the border of the promised land, the ten spies, they hesitate to go in. What does Moses say at this time? He says, when looking back, he said, I said to you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goes before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bear thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came into this place. Dread not, he says, neither be afraid of them. Verse 29. The Lord your God shall fight for you. The Lord your God which went before you shall bear you as a father does his son. And, you know, Greg alluded to this a lot last night. The question is, what do we see? What do we see? The children of Israel saw giants of Anakim. There's giants in the land. we got no chance. No chance. We sometimes look out on giants of industry and business, the giants of this world. And we can sometimes be intimidated. We can desire to assimilate, to keep our head down, to not stand for Christ in the midst of this adulterous and sinful generation that Jesus talked about. It all comes down to what do we see? Moses, as we saw, standing before Pharaoh, saw the king, immortal, invisible, but he saw him. And so he went forward out of Egypt in faith. And he says to the children of Israel on the border of the promised land, fear not. Think of all the extraordinary things God has done through the wilderness. Believe. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord God goes before you into the battle. And then he gives this beautiful image. It's like a father and a son in a war zone. And the father's wounded. Oh, sorry, the son is wounded on the battlefield. I ask you, fathers, in this room, what father, seeing their son wounded, lying on the battlefield, in pain, would not race to their aid, pick up their son, put him over his shoulder, 
and run as best they could through those battle lines to safety. That's the image that Moses says is your God. Every dad would do that for their boy. He says, see that that is your God, the pillar, the cloud by day, the fire by night. God's always been with you. Never take it for granted. Go in and possess the land. Believe. See him. You know, brethren and sisters, pray God that it will never take us to have a Balaam moment to see what's been there all along. You remember Balaam? All of a sudden, it's like, wow. He sees. But he had to have that moment. Let's pray God desperately after this weekend, tonight, that we will have the faith. There's one big takeaway. The faith of Moses to see the invisible, to have a relationship with our angel, that we want them side by side, face to face, so that we can courageously fight on until we go into the promised land. I read in one of our earlier studies from that beautiful psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's all very beautiful, isn't it? Very positive. But life's not all just like that. The psalmist says, Yea, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like that boy and the father on the battlefield, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me.